Welcome to Suede. This is Sarah Osteen, and today I am speaking with Scott Stiefvater from Slomoff Consulting. He is a public speaking expert, and so I'll be honest, I'm a little nervous <laughs> about my speaking and uh, how smoothly I speak today, but hopefully this all goes well. Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I know Scott through Chris Connor, who was really instrumental in helping me launch the my podcast, Wade. He has done editing and really helped me think about the premise of it. And Chris, and he has two podcasts that those of you out there should listen to, um, including Flip Turns and Life Sciences Marketing Radio. And I believe that Chris and Scott know each other because they're both part of the San Francisco East Bay swim community. So Yeah, we yeah. are. And, and by the way, Sarah, I just wanted to mention because you said you were a little bit nervous about your speaking. Now, I promise I will be nice. You probably <laughs> heard me giving a little bit of correction to uh, Chris when we were on his podcast, but uh, it's all in good nature and uh, I, I'm going to be easy with you. Okay. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I, I you know, it's, it, it, no, it's, it's actually a real, it's a reasonable point though. I think I pride myself on being able to connect with people and being warm and that might also involve being open or allowing people to even swear in front of me, whatever it might be. And it, it's sort of an interesting question as to how that connects to public speaking. Hopefully, I guess in an ideal world, you're able to do that and be eloquent. <laughs> yes. Well, the idea, for instance, the experience in your listener of warmth, which you said, I'd like people to experience me as warm. Yeah. That is an experience that you can help control through behaviors you produce. And that's why people come to us. People come to us because the skill of speaking is generally a mystery to most people. And we, taking a brain-based approach, we try and reduce it to more of a science. You know, in that I'm not going to talk about magical things like confidence. When someone says, you need to be more confident, that's, it's kind of funny because they would say, well, if I knew what you meant, then I'd be doing it. So we don't talk in terms of magical diagnostic terms like presence and confidence without defining them behaviorally. So someone can do something about that. So for instance, if you want to be warmer, if you want to come across as warmer, sometimes you can affect that with your voice. A slightly breathier voice will come across as warmer, while a slightly more staccato and tonal voice often comes across as, well, not warm, not cold necessarily, but not as warm. That is fascinating. I'm not sure that I've ever thought about that before, but that makes a lot of sense. Well, let, let's start at the beginning here. Why do people or organizations typically engage with Slomoff Consulting Group? What are they hoping to get out of the experience? What are they looking to change? Well, we work with leaders to be better at talking. I mean, that's the short version. But senior leaders will come to us because they have some high stakes talk. There's an event coming up and they have to speak and it's high stakes for them in the business. And they want to show up and just be excellent. Now, emerging leaders are often sent to us because they've been great individual contributors, maybe fantastic technicians, but now they've been elevated to a place of leadership in the organization and they have a team to lead. They have to interact with senior executives more often. And for some reason, they sense that they need to be improved in that leadership communication, but they just don't know how to do it. So 
they come to us for coaching. If they're thinking about trying to speak with more impact, why is that important? This might seem really obvious, but what, what does it really mean to speak with impact? Well, let me answer that question by going to the dominant approach, the dominant paradigm. So for most of us in business, we know that we're being hired and, and paid to be an expert in some area. So when given the opportunity to talk to others in that professional environment, we feel compelled by our ego to demonstrate our competence as an expert. So most people often end up talking about their knowledge, their, their knowledge base. They say, I, I want to prove my expertise, so I, I'll show people that I know what I'm talking about. Now, there's a bunch of problems with that. The first is that it's ego-based. It's all driven by, I want to prove my competence as an expert by talking about what I know. The second big problem with that is it's, it's just extremely boring for listeners. People are not interested in what you know. They may be interested in how what you know affects them and can help them be better at, at business and in their life, but they're not interested in what you know. Now, the impact approach, the approach that we utilize means that as a speaker, you're in service to your listener's mind. It is your obligation to create meaning and relevance for your listener so that when they walk away from a conversation with you, they've gained something of value. It's interesting to me to hear you talk about that because, as you know, I'm in the learning and development world, and there was a very interesting study that came out by Amy Cuddy uh, in, I think it was like 2014. 2013, she wrote an article called Connect and Then Lead, and it looked at, at leaders' ability to connect with their direct reports and whether or not leading with warmth or competence was more important. And uh, in fact, being able to, to lead with warmth and, and connect with individuals first was what made more of an impact. The study then came under fire later for some of her research around some of the other components of it. But I think it's such an interesting point. It seems like it's very connected with what you're saying, this idea of of our ego getting involved and feeling as though we need to demonstrate a level of confidence or competence. Yeah, it's it's interesting because at the basis of all this is a paradox, you want to be successful in your career as a leader. You want to move up in an organization. You want to have more influence. But what we find is that if that's your intent, things go wrong. When your intent changes to, I am other focused, I'm in service to my listener, then things tend to fall in place because that's the purpose of speaking. When we speak, it's not about getting words out into the air. It's about getting ideas into your listener's mind so that they can derive some meaning and relevance from that. So the real action in speaking is not you. The real action is in the mind of your listener. And so you've heard of servant leadership, of course. It's a, it's a big movement. And it falls perfectly in line with our philosophy, which is when you talk, be in service to your listener's mind, not your ego. Are there any examples that you can share or just comments that your clients have made about how this ability to speak with more impact has changed or positively improved their lives? Sure. We, we have people that come to us and we'll often describe 
the common scenario. And here's the common scenario in business. You can look into any conference room around the world and most often what you'll see is there's somebody standing at the front of the room and they're talking to a group around a table. And around the table, people are opening up their laptops. <laughs> they're typing in their email. They're doing other work, which is just a signal that these listeners are finding more meaning and relevance on their laptop screen than they are from the speaker. So some people come to us and say, well, you know, I'm frustrated. I want to stand out as a leader. But in these meetings, I get that same experience. People open up their laptops. And I usually feel offended by that. But by the end of working with us, they recognize it's not the listener's problem. It's your obligation to be a better speaker. So they'll come back and report to us and go, you know what? I opened the meeting differently. I didn't use a bunch of text-heavy slides. I came in in service to the listener. And guess what? No laptops opened. And that's huge because if you think about it, meetings like that are morale killers. They're horrible. <laughs> and they even hurt retention of talent. So if you want to be an excellent leader, you have got to show up to those meetings and be able to help the listeners around the table leave with something of value. It's important for your business culture and it's important for the individual. It's it's such a good point. And I have certainly had that experience before where I have facilitated a program and found that very early on people were disengaged and it can really impact the rest of the discussion if you sort of feel like you're losing traction from the get-go. Yeah, and it's interesting because what most people will do if they're untrained is they'll go to content. Mm -hmm. They'll think, God, what I'm talking about, the way I'm framing this with words isn't working. But often what's happening is something in their behavior as they talk. It might be a habit pattern to their speech. Um, it might be vocal inflection. It might be a lack of dynamic vocal inflection. It could be a whole array of things. But you need to go to an expert to figure out what those things are. So how do you work with people to affect and change those patterns? Well, speaking is a skill. And like all other skills, there are three parts to the skill. Now I'll use another skill, golf, the skill of playing golf. In every skill, there is a neurological coordination system to the skill based on the basic unit of the skill. The basic unit of the skill of golf is a swing. So when you go to a golf expert and say, I want to get better at the skill of golf, they don't take you out on the course and play a game with you. They take you to an artificial environment, a driving range. And on that driving range, they assess your swing because they know if you don't have a fantastic swing, you'll never be great at the game of golf. Well, in speaking, there's also a swing to speaking, a neurological coordination system associated with the basic unit of talking. And in talking, the basic unit is the sentence. The second part of every skill is the game of the skill. And in the game of the skill, there are moments in time, a defined moment in time where you demand excellence of yourself. In the skill of golf, it's a golf game. In the skill of speaking, it could be a conversation with the executive leader to whom you report. It could be a conversation with your own team. It could be stepping out on a stage and talking to an audience of a thousand people. That's a game time event. In golf, you play the course. In speaking, content is the most vital aspect of the game of speaking. And it depends on who's in the audience and what, what, what's the situation I'm in. 
The third part of every skill is the inner world of the person trying to do the other two parts at the highest level possible. So we get a lot of people that come to us in the speaking world and say, gosh, I really want to be more comfortable as a speaker. That's my inner world goal. And what I'll say is, you know, your comfort is really not that important. I understand that you want it and you can get it, but what's important is that you're excellent at impacting people's minds. And what most people learn about their inner world in speaking is you've got to concentrate. You've got to raise your awareness of the listener and of yourself, your inner world, and the behaviors you produce to be excellent. And that takes concentration. So when we work with people, we, we always bring them those through those three parts of the skill, the swing, the game, and the inner world. What component of that is most difficult for people? That's a good question. <laughs> I've never really thought about that. I think it differs from individual to individual. Look, how do we learn how to talk? Because even though talking is a skill, we don't think of it as a skill. I, I may choose to learn how to golf, but I don't choose to learn how to speak. So how do I learn how to speak? Well, it starts with mimicking my parents. From about the age of one, my brain becomes available to learn how to talk. And at the age of one, I start mimicking my parents, maybe my older siblings or other relatives. And then I get into a school system at around the age of five, and I start imitating my peer group. And that continues through school. And then in the working world, some of us try to imitate, through best guess imitation, other leaders we perceive to be great speakers. And as a result, we create habit patterns, a speaking pattern that becomes a strong habit that we use over a thousand times a day because we speak on average about a thousand sentences a day. And what that means is that we have a habit that's hard to break. The first step is you have to become aware of what that habit is. And then the second step is you have to become aware of what is a model of me being my best at speaking. And how can I keep my awareness up so I recognize when there's a gap between what I'm actually doing and what I want to do exists when it, I make a mistake, can I correct it on the next sentence? So I would say the hardest part for everybody is habits. You may say, look, I'm a boring speaker or I have a quiet voice. And I'll say, well, you speak quietly now because it's a habit. Your voice isn't quiet. Your voice has the potential for being very loud. You just don't have a habit of using it that way. So let's get you to adopt the optimal habit to help your listener. That makes sense. Yeah, quiet is not my problem, but I, <laughs> <laughs> I have been accused of being too loud. I, uh, when I first started doing some public speaking, I often had this experience where right in the beginning, you know, there was a lot of nerves and the, all the common things, the sweaty palms and the elevated heart rate. And I'd almost mm -hmm. have this feeling of observing myself like an out-of-body experience, which mm. I'm guessing is the inner world piece of it. Is, is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, and that just sort of went away with time. So I always assumed that, you know, exposure and experience allowed me to feel less anxious. And I, I, occasionally that happens to me now, but it's much more rare. So how do you help somebody address something like that? Yeah. Well, what you pointed out is that experience matters. And absolutely it does. The more experience you can get, the better. The good news is that we talk all the time. 
And the predominant paradigm says that there's a public speaking paradigm and then there's conversation. In our approach, they're not different things. They're all modifications on the act of speaking in a conversation. So that that's one thing that I can practice my swing in speaking when I'm having a one-to-one -one conversation at work, when I'm having a one-to-one -one conversation at home, when I'm talking with a group of friends, I can work on my swing. Part of it's just awareness. Now, most people get nervous because they don't know what to do. We work with some of the greatest skiers and snowboarders in the world. We work with members of the US Ski and Snowboard team. We help them to become keynote speakers. And these are folks that they wait for four years to do one or two or three races at the Olympics. Are they nervous when they're standing in the gate? Yes. Some of them will tell you, I don't sleep for nights. Some of them will tell you, I vomit on the morning of the big race. <laughs> but when the countdown starts, they switch into a mode of concentration because they know what they want to do. And that's the same in speaking. People get nervous and then their hands shake and they go, oh my God, my hand's shaking. And that just continues to create this nervous reaction. But if they say, oh, I'm aware that my hand is shaking, but I'm going to focus on what I want to do with the next sentence, then the nervous reaction tends to abate over about seven minutes, the time it takes for adrenaline and cortisol to be absorbed in your system. That is really fascinating to me because I've had that experience in, in so many ways. I've also found for me, saying something funny up front has helped me relax. So sure, it might put the audience at ease to some degree, but it's almost more important for me because it makes me feel more comfortable. And by the way, this has now turned into a therapy session where I'm asking you questions. <laughs> well, but but it's, a good, it's a good therapy session because your story is a common story. You're bringing up the same sorts of things that people bring up all the time when we work with them either in workshops or in coaching sessions. Say, so I like to start with a joke. And I would say that's a technique. It's a Band-Aid approach sure. to what you really want to do. Um, and what you really want to do is focus on the optimal behaviors to capture the imagination of your audience from the beginning. It's not about you and your comfort. So you're dealing with your discomfort by saying, I like to start with a, a joke because it relaxes me. I'm saying, well, that's fine. It'll get you to a certain place on this spectrum of excellence. But if you want to make a leap toward what the world's greatest do, you have to have other options. You can't always start with a joke. So how is it that you get to a point where you're at your best? I'd say, one, don't worry about your comfort. Worry about excellence. And two, focus on what the listener needs. What content do they need for you to start with? How do you need to talk to capture their attention? And often people will do gimmicky stuff and they say things, I always start with a joke. And I'd say, well, that's, that may have gotten you to here, but you don't want to stay here. You want to get there. So let's give you other options. I think that makes a lot of sense. This is great. So what are some of the other common errors that people make? We've, we've talked a little bit about some of my problems, <laughs> but how do these errors negatively influence the listener? Okay, I'll, I'll give you a good example, and, and I'm going to speak in a certain way now to illustrate. So I want your listeners just to see what happens in their mind when I talk like this. 
Um, Sarah, I um, uh, I um, I wanted to talk to you about the uh, uh, you know, the initiative that we discussed last week. So now what I was doing there was producing two common errors. One was the error of fragmenting sentences. And you can see that I was using filler sounds and words. I also was speaking in a pretty high place in my register, my vocal register. And for the listener's mind, we start telling some stories based on the error of fragmenting. There's also another common error called rambling, where you just omit periods and overuse conjunctions. But these behaviors exact a cost in the mind of the listener. In the listener's mind, they tell stories when they see these errors, and the stories aren't flattering. They're generally, wow, this person, I don't think they're that, they don't have it together that much. I'm not sure if I can trust their input. So that would be an example of how an error in your swing can have a negative effect on your influence on another person. Now, there's another common error. People often say, I want to be myself. I want to come across as authentic. And then I'd ask, well, what is inauthentic? And people, they can't quite figure it out. Well, inauthenticity is an experience in the listener's mind when the muscle groups involved in talking don't match the sentence. So if I say, Sarah, I love you. It's not very impactful, but if I say, Sarah, I love you. Now, my vocal tone is in line with the sentence and the meaning of the sentence. I may have my daughter who I talk to and say, hey, honey, let's go, uh, let's go and have a picnic today. And she'll say, gee, great, I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> that's this misalignment, this sort of incongruence of expression. The sentence is, great, yes, I can't wait, let's go. But her vocal tone doesn't match the sentence. Now, of course, in her case, it's possibly a conscious effort. But a lot of people, they have these incongruence of muscles based on a bad habit in their swing. I find people, for instance, who don't move their face much when they talk. So they're talking about something where they feel a lot of emotion and their face isn't moving. And in the listener's mind, that's confusing. They're like, what's going on here? But the subconscious story tends to be that person doesn't really mean what they're saying. They're not being authentic. That's interesting because I, I do feel like that is a concern for many people that they come across as authentic. But really asking what is inauthentic mean seems like a, a great place to start. With your first example, it occurred to me that that might happen because that person was nervous. Is, is that right? Or oh, it can yeah. certainly we find when people are nervous or they're just having a hard time concentrating that some aspect of their behavior just isn't where it should be to help the audience understand what they want them to understand. That doesn't help the audience get the idea that they're trying to transfer to the audience's mind. So nerves may play a part, but most often it's simply a lack of awareness. So we videotape people so that they can become more aware of how they come across to the listener's reality. And we ask people to 
really study their inner world as they talk and they own their habits that they produce, the behaviors they produce. So then they can control them. And that's generally the main problem is people are completely unaware of the skill of speaking and they're unaware of their own habits. We'll get this in almost every workshop we coach. There'll be an individual who says, oh my God, I had no idea when they see their video. They'll say, oh my God, I had no idea I spoke like that, that my voice sounded like that. I had no idea I even looked like that. What are my hands doing? And that's just a complete lack of awareness. So most of the time, if you're going to produce really good behaviors, you have to be aware. Well, what am I doing? What behaviors do I want to produce? And what am I actually doing? And how can I close the gap? It does feel so personal. And I understand that people are coming to you because they want to be better speakers and they want to speak with more impact and connect with people more effectively. But how do you give feedback that doesn't just crush people? <laughs> that's, that's an excellent question because many of the other competitors in our market, the other coaches, they'll highlight errors. Highlighting errors doesn't help anybody. It just makes you feel bad. So we don't play the um police. It doesn't help to ring a bell when somebody says um and draw their attention to an error. You don't get somebody to stop saying um by saying stop saying um. You teach people the correct behavior and you focus on their strengths. Look, if you <laughs> videotaped yourself for an entire two weeks and isolated all the times you were talking, would you as an individual produce all the right behaviors at some time during those two weeks? And the answer is yes, you just don't know it. So we don't play the um police game. We don't highlight errors. We help you focus on your strengths. You may have a gorgeous voice and not know it, but once you raise that awareness that, oh my gosh, I've got a great voice. Let me use that consciously to have more impact. Well, then you can do it and you can, you can accentuate your strengths. When it comes to errors, we just say, okay, there's an error. Let me show you the correct behavior, the way your brain is designed to work, and then just pursue the correct behavior. Don't beat yourself up. It seems like a very positive way of working with people. Well, it is. It's hard, though. And the reason it's hard is because of the habits. It is just simply difficult to take a longstanding habit and overpower it with a new habit. And that's what you have to do. You have to overpower it. And that means a lot of stopping and going, a lot of practice. You can imagine if you're at a driving range for golf that you don't suddenly learn the correct swing and then produce the correct swing. You're going to hit the ball here and there. It's going to be frustrating. But if you focus and you concentrate on the correct behavior slowly, the new habit will replace the old habit and you'll begin to hit with more consistency. That's the same thing in speaking. So it's painful sometimes because we're working on, well, you know, you're still stuck in your old habit. But with a little bit of practice and a lot of awareness, you can improve very quickly. So I'm, I'm curious what all this means for you. Just listening to you and speaking with you, it's very clear that you are comfortable speaking and you're eloquent. So how has your ability to speak with impact and enhance your life? It's an interesting question because 
over the last 15 years, I've gone through an evolution in my coaching. Um, it used to be presentation coaching. And it was always interesting as I coached people in creating presentation content and developing visual aids to support the presentations in the form of slides, there was always this thing in the room. They'd say, in a lot of meetings, I get interrupted. And then I'd go back to, well, maybe the problems with the slide, maybe the problems with the content. But what I came to realize is the presentation paradigm, which is a lot like the public speaking paradigm, is this preconceived notion that when I go into a meeting, I have to have slides. The experience is a very linear experience because it has to follow the narrative that I've created with my slides. That the problem is in the linearity of it all. When I got to Slomoff Consulting Group and I adopted a whole new viewpoint on this, I came to realize that most speaking is conversational. The listener's mind is not linear. It hates linearity. Your listener's mind is jumping all over the place, making connections, synthesizing ideas. It's being creative. And when you hamper that by creating a linear idea when you're talking, then they're going to interrupt you and you're going to say, gosh, now these people are getting in my way of me getting through my content, which is a horrible goal. The goal is how do I transfer an idea to your mind? How do we create meaning and relevance? And the way to do that is generally through conversation because people's brains are conversational. That's the design. It's not designed to sit there and just absorb a linear narrative. So my whole life in terms of talking has changed because now I'm working with my brain's design to have these conversations. I don't get interrupted. And if I do, I have the awareness to understand why that's happening and how to deal with it in a very productive way. And it, it helps me at work but it helps me at home. I have teenage children and of course I want to make an impact on them and things that I've learned in terms of impact speaking benefit me in almost every conversation I have in which I want to have impact. I love that idea that you're able to connect more effectively and actually have better conversations on both ends with whoever you're speaking with, whether or not it's professionally or personally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, talking is talking. Impact is impact. Now, some of the rules in a business context are a little bit different. People evaluate you a little bit differently. But if you want to connect with an individual and you want to really impact their mind, it has a lot to do with your intent. If my intent is to give a lecture, then, well, people will experience a lecture. If my intent is to build a form of consensus and connection, then a conversation is much more effective. So at Slomoff Consulting Group, we don't believe in presentations and public speaking. They're recent relatively recent made up human phenomena. <laughs> the brain's design is for conversations. And so understanding that you can work with your brain's design in concert with it and life just gets better. That's great. Well, Scott, thank you so much for being willing to take the time to speak with me today and for analyzing some of my challenges as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad to help you and, and anybody out there. Well, great. Well, uh, those of you who are interested in speaking with more impact should go and check out Slomoff Consulting. And uh, I, I hope that we stay in touch. I'd love to hear how your career progresses. Oh, thank you so much. Well, Sarah, thank you for having me, and um, thanks to everybody for listening. <laughs>